Uh, this morning, I'm going to read John 16, 23 through 27. And on that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. These things I've spoken to you in figures of speech. An hour is coming where I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name. And I'm not saying to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. Okay, this morning we're going to be jumping uh, or finishing up chapter 16, which is going to be uh, kind of the culmination of Jesus's uh, teachings to his disciples from chapters 14 to 16, his final discourse and teaching them before we get next week and following into chapter 17, which is his prayer. And as Jesus finishes up this, this, this uh, teaching to his disciples and, and encouraging them and, and calling them out, we'll be looking at today at his, at his call for them to pray in his name and to trust in him. But before we do that, I want, I want to start with a story. And that is, uh, that some years ago, I was in Australia living there, and I was doing door-to-door evangelism uh, with, uh, with a group of people, and, and on my team was this uh, little Canadian girl. She was about 17, about four foot four, and maybe weighed 80 pounds, smaller than my own nine-year-old son. And, and we were doing this evangelism, and we were walking through neighborhoods. We were at this apartment complex. It was kind of run down. We walked up to the top floor of it, and uh, as I went to knock on the door, and before I knock, the door starts opening in front of me. And as the door opens, I see this dude covered in tattoos with a shirt off who's looking real funky. And the, right before I even touch it, he's opening the door in the creepiest possible way. He says, we have been waiting for you. And I'm like, whoa. And uh, he's, his eyes are fidgeting, clearly demon-possessed. He's on drugs. I mean, this guy is funky and weird. And I'm like, let's go out of the way. And he's like, please come in. And I'm like, oh, gosh. I take a step forward, uh, kind of shielding the girl behind me in the doorway. And, and we're standing there. And I'm like, I look around. And the, the walls are covered in, like, this is a while ago. It was covered in, uh, in, like, pornography of just being pasted on the walls. And there's trash all over the place. And there's drugs on the table. And, I mean, this is a funky, weird place. There's, like, cat poop everywhere. This place is filthy and disgusting. And I can just feel the evil. I'm like, whoa, let's get out of here. And uh, he asked me my name. And so I tell him, what's your name? He says, his name's Dennis. Um, I'm like, it's time for us to go. And uh, I thought maybe I'll ask him like, so and I'm trying to back up. And I'm like, so what, what do you do for work? And he says the most inappropriate thing possible. And then he grabs me in an even more inappropriate place. And meanwhile, he grabs out from behind him like a Bowie knife. You know, if you ever seen Crocodile Dundee, that's not a knife. And he starts, this is a knife. He grabs this huge knife, starts waving it in front of me. And I'm just, he's grabbing onto me, waving this thing. I'm like, God, get us out of here. And I mean, I, I literally thought that moment might be the last of my day, my last day on earth. I was like, this is, this is stupid. This, this is, I don't know what's going on. Push the guy away, gently try and get away, and we get out of there. We're freaking out. I didn't know if I was going to make it. And, and as we, we get back, we get some trauma counseling after that because we were traumatized. And a few weeks pass, and I gather together our, some of our communities, about 50 of us, we start praying for them. And today we're going to be talking about prayer. And we have a prayer about 50 people gathering together and praying that God would come meet this guy. And I want to tell you, it was an awesome time. And I'm going to jump back and finish that story up in a little bit uh, because God does some pretty cool, cool stuff through prayer. But uh, as we're entering into chapter 16, the second half of it, this is, again, this is Jesus' farewell prayer to his disciples, or his farewell teaching to his disciples. And they're, again, walking towards Jesus' death. They're about ready to enter into the Garden of Gethsemane. And these are the last things that Jesus tells them. And so to me, it's very important to be looking at what he's saying. And over the last four weeks, we've seen this whole time from 14 to 16 that Jesus has been telling the disciples he's leaving, right? 
And it's not actually bad that he's leaving. He says it's good for them that he's leaving. It's the best possible thing, he says, for them that he's leaving because he's going to send them his Holy Spirit to come dwell with them. And his Holy Spirit's going to make all of Jesus available to them. And by having his Holy Spirit, they are going to be able to do the things that Jesus said. In fact, he says, even greater things than I did, you will now do because now I dwell in within all of you. And so now you have my spirit empowered to do the things that I was doing in my departure. And I am fully available to you, all of me and all the fathers available to you now through the Holy Spirit in my departure. In the last week, we looked at his promise to them that he will come and he will convict the world regarding sin and judgment and righteousness, and that through their testimonies, they live in love more like Jesus. The world will come to know him through the lives of the disciples and his followers as they follow him and as they experience you know, the, the, the difficulties and the trials and hold on to Jesus through that. And now as we get to the second half of chapter 16, he's going to say, you know, it's going to be hard with my departure. In fact, he describes the mourning they're about to experience to a woman in, in labor and, and the pain, the suffering of a woman giving childbirth or giving birth to a child. And then he says, but that mourning will turn into joy. That's what he says the second half here and describes it again like, like, just like a mother when she receives her child. And uh, as the child is born, all of the pain, all of the heartache immediately is forgotten in the midst of the joy that's received. And then he's going to make this huge promise to the disciples starting in chapter 16 in verse 23. He says this. This audacious claim that Jesus makes to them. And it's not the first time he said it. In fact, this is already the sixth time he said it just in these few chapters. The eighth time already in this letter. And he says this. On that day, that being after his resurrection, when the Holy Spirit comes, he says, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. So Jesus says, post-resurrection, once my spirit comes to dwell with you, I make you this promise. Truly, truly, I say to you. That's one of my favorite Greek phrases. In the Greek, the way you say that is amen, amen, lego. Great if you have kids. It's just amen, amen, Lego. I tell you the truth. You have to have human for the you part, but I love that. I tell you the truth. Amen, amen, Lego. If you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. And the next verse, ask in my name and you will receive it. Now, on the surface, this sounds kind of fun, doesn't it? God says, ask anything as long as it's in my name and you'll receive it. I mean, it seems like this is some kind of magic formula that God's offering his disciples. Just say anything in my name and you can have it. Just say in the name of Jesus. You could have the name it and claim it, right? The, 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 the blab it and grab it, the profess it and proclaim it and possess it. Like this is just, you can, whatever we say in his name we get is the way it kind of sounds like right here. That maybe we get an Aladdin's lamp with God, but it has more than three wishes as long as we just add in the name of Jesus at the end of it. Kind of like telling a child, like you have to ask and say the magic word please. And they say please, they can get whatever it is. You can say please, can I eat like two gallons of ice cream for breakfast this morning? Well, you said please, I guess we have to do it, right? Um, I mean, clearly that's not the case of what God is saying here. He's not saying you get anything you want, but though that's what it says. But Because if it's just about manipulating God to get what we want, that's actually called witchcraft. That's idolatry. That's manipulating the gods to get whatever we want out of our own selfish desires. So if that's not what he's saying, then what is he saying here? He's saying, in this case, ask whatever you want in my name and, and you will receive it. I mean, but has anyone ever prayed in Jesus' name a prayer that you didn't see come to fruition? That you didn't see answered? Anyone ever felt disillusioned by unanswered prayers, even if you added the phrase, in the name of Jesus? Well, in the Bible, there's a great story of this. It's in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 13. There's a, a crazy story of, that, that, that Paul tells here, and it says, a group, or Luke tells, he says, a group of Jews was traveling, this is the city of Ephesus, 
was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. So they were doing it. They were doing this deliverance ministry, and they tried to use the name of the Lord, Jesus, in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. And sometimes the demons were fleeing from them, is what we learned from this. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, so these seven guys, the leading priests, were doing this, but one time when they tried it, the evil spirits replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped onto them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. So, in the name of Jesus didn't quite work for this dude in this situation. In fact, by claiming in the name of Jesus, they got totally beat up. Right? They ran out naked and, beat and, and bloodied from this encounter after using the phrase, in the name of Jesus. So apparently, in the name of Jesus is not a magical incantation that just adds power to any phrase. It's no guarantee that the prayer we say is going is, is to work. So we must remember here that Jesus, this is three years that he's been teaching his disciples and spending a lot of time talking to them about prayer. So everything we see here is built upon what's been said before. But I'd like to take a minute to look a bit more at what he's talking to his disciples about praying in his name. Because this is not something he says once. It's something he says many, 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 many times. And it's something that I think today, with, even with Christians, that we, we often get really funky theology regarding this and go some strange places with it. In fact, I mean, every theologian has a different opinion on this, kind of, this passage and, and the way this is used. And whether you're, whether you're, you're hyper-charismatic or reformed or Arminian or Calvinist, I mean, everyone's got a different way of looking at this. But for the most part, most people just try and move it to the edges because it's kind of an uncomfortable passage of Scripture where we think, well, it's not true, so I guess let's just ignore it because it doesn't work. And so often the answer that people do give, when they do give them, it just stays in the theoretical or the philosophical. It's like good ideas. You know, just in kind of preparation, I was going through this this last week. I spent too much time. I read through like 20 or 30 different commentaries on, on all these different passages that have to do with this in Scripture, just trying to kind of re, uh, refresh myself with kind of ancient views of this and modern views of this and going across the spectrum. And on, the whole process of doing that, spending those hours, was just really discouraging. Because almost every single answer out there, given by all the experts in, the, in, in Greek and all the rest of it, is really just more platitudinal. It's just this kind of these theological statements and ideas instead of actually what was Jesus talking to his disciples about, and then what does that mean for us today as his followers? And so I want us to try and look, dig a little deeper into this passage. Because most of the application I've seen when people go with this passage is, one, they go a real funky place where they say, well, I guess if Jesus is saying this, then maybe we just need, I just need to pray more. Like, I need a new house, I need this, I need that, I need that, God, give me this, give me this, give me this, and it just becomes very selfish. Or the other way that I think is even more common with so many people with this, they explain the passage away and they say, well, it's just, it's got to be in the name and in the will of Jesus and according to his will, so therefore prayers become dead and faithless. Because it's like, well, God, I guess if you want to do it, then just keep doing what you want to do. Right? And that becomes a really boring prayer life. It's just like, my prayer is, Lord, I mean, if you want to do something, I guess you should do it because you're in charge and I have to pray in your name and in your will anyways. And it leads to just boring dead prayers by so many Christians. So let's jump into this a little bit. So six times, just in chapter 14 to 16, Jesus says this ex- pretty much the exact same thing here. He's going to say it twice in John chapter 5. He's going to say it three times in his letter of 1 John. And that's just in John's writings alone. So let's look at a few of these things that he has to say. Starting in chapter 14. He says this in verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works than these, because I am going to be with the Father. Verse 13, you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. 
so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I mean, Jesus here is practically begging them to ask him so that he can do things, right? You see Jesus kind of leaning in and saying like, I want to partner with you. I'm leaving, but I want to journey with you. I want to work with you. So please ask me to do stuff, right? Because he's excited about working with the disciples here. And the context here is that he's, he wants to work through the disciples and they live in love like him. He's saying, as you do the works that I was doing and what you pray for must glorify the Father. Next one, verse 7, he says, in verse chapter 15, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And again, ask whatever you wish. You see Jesus just saying, please pray, ask me. I want to do cool stuff. I want to keep doing my works. And the context here is abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit that glorifies the Father. Next one, verse 16, he's in chapter 15, he says, I appointed, it's just a few verses later, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love one another. So again, Jesus is saying the exact same thing, and this time the context is producing fruit that lasts, and specifically loving one another. Let's look at another one, the one we just looked at, 23 and 24 of chapter 16. He says, I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Okay, now we're going to look at 1 John. Now, 1 John's interesting because this is written anywhere from 40 to 70 years after Jesus dies. And this is what John now has distilled everything Jesus said, and this is the things that he's holding on to 60 years but around there after Jesus has died. This is what has remained. This is what he thinks is the biggest focus for the disciples. And he says this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, or 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So again, he's saying the, con- the, the, the context here is loving one another and obeying his commands. And we should ask him and he'll give it. Let's do one more. Chapter 5 of 1 John. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, and we know that we have what we have asked. And again, the context here is asking according to God's will. And he will hear us. So, I mean, this is just a few of the examples, but obviously Jesus wants his disciples to be in prayer. And specifically prayer where they ask him to move miraculously in ways that they cannot do it on their own. Obviously, he's excited to grant their request. He's saying, I want to partner with you. I want to keep doing this stuff. And the results of this answered prayer is going to be joy, lasting fruit, and it's going to bring glory to the Father of what he's praying. And so if we look at all these passages together, we can draw some very clear conclusions from here. In fact, just kind of a summary of each of these passages. Now, you don't have to write this down. This is all on the website. If you go to the, the front, the, the click on the sermon discussion questions. These notes are all right there for you. But the context of asking Jesus' name through each of these passages, I just want to build this up to show where this idea comes from. And so from the first one, you can basically say there in the first one we looked at that he's saying that doing the same works as Jesus, and it's prayer that brings glory to the Father. This is the context of what he's speaking about here in that first one. And the second passage we looked at, he's speaking about abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit that glorifies the Father. This is the kind of prayer he's speaking about. 
The next one was producing lasting fruit and loving one another. This, again, is the context. All of this kind of coming together. The next one, asking the Father directly using Jesus' name is the context he uses there. The next one in 1 John, it was coming to God with confidence when they were obeying his command to love one another. And the last one there in 1 John, asking according to God's will. So if you put all of this together and you kind of think, okay, so what do we see from all of these things that Jesus says about asking him in, the name, in his name? You see that, effect, that Jesus is talking about effective prayer. And it's two things. It's the kind of prayer that he's looking for, but also it's the kind of person that is praying that he's looking for as well. And so it's not just the, the content of the prayer, it's the lifestyle he refers to frequently here. And as far as the lifestyle, he says, this is someone that's doing the works of Jesus when he's saying that he responds to this. It's people who are, uh, are abiding in Christ and loving one another. This is the lifestyle, it says, of the people that he's responding to, that they're obeying Christ and loving one another and living and loving like him. And then he describes the content of the prayer also in this section, which is what it's being prayed for. And it's what they're praying for is being prayed in the name of Jesus, it's being prayed according to God's will, and it's being prayed in such a way that it brings the Father glory. So those are the things that he's saying he responds to. So Jesus says the prayer that he grants here is prayer that is prayed by a follower who is actively living and loving like Jesus, who is doing the things that Jesus did and loving one another and abiding in him, and the prayer that he answers is prayer prayed according to his will that brings the, glory, the, the Father glory in the midst of those things. So this is the, kind of the context for all of this. And I think Eugene Peterson perfectly summed this up in his translation in the message of this passage of John 16, 23, and 24. And, and he summarizes it this way. He says, this is what I want you to do. Ask the Father for whatever is in keeping with the things I've revealed to you. So what we're asking for is in, in, in line with what Jesus has revealed to us and who he is and the way he did it. Ask in my name according to my will and he'll most certainly give it to you. And, and that's honestly the best summary I've found. So his final words to the disciples, this is what he's telling them, that they don't need to be afraid. They're going to be facing this terrible persecution that's coming upon them, and that he's going to be fully present to them through his Holy Spirit. And then here he sees that he's, again he's saying that the Spirit is going to continue his work through you, but just ask him. you got to ask him, he's saying. I want to partner with you. I want to do this with you. And Jesus will keep doing his works that you cannot do on your own through you, he's telling them. You just need to ask him. Over and over, Jesus says it. I want to partner with you. I want this to be an us thing, not just a me thing. Just ask me. I want to do it with you. You're not alone. I am with you, Jesus is telling his disciples. And he's telling them they don't need to worry. That the kingdom doesn't finish with his death. But it's just getting started when he dies. So live as Jesus lived. And pray as he prayed. Because God is with you through his spirit, he tells the disciples. And so many of this, this is just kind of a reminder of Matthew 6 when he tells them how to pray. And remember going back to that, what's called, often called the Lord's Prayer. Where he says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the prayer that he's asking of his disciples there is, you need to pray that God's heaven comes from, God's kingdom comes from heaven to earth. It's not just about getting us into heaven, but about getting heaven into us, right? It's about his kingdom coming to earth and us experiencing that here and now, not just then and there. But he says, your will be done as central that, Lord, may it be according to your name and your will that brings you glory here on earth. We pray that your kingdom would come here on earth. And this is the central longing of the Father's heart here is that we bring the Father glory through our prayers and through our lives. And because for Jesus, it was never about his own interests. It was about the Father's, bringing him glory. 
And what do we see last week brings the Father more glory than anything else? What is his heart more centered on than anything else? We saw last week, it's, it's reaching the lost. Nothing is more upon the Father's heart than reaching the lost. And so Jesus is telling him, this must be your passion as well. You must come to me, and I will answer. You must become more like me, conform your life to mine so much to a degree that what you're praying is what's upon my heart, and what is, a your, what is my will becomes what is your will. Because the truth is, God loves to answer prayer. And he's called us to be a people of prayer. Specifically, a people of prayer who are more and more increasingly conforming that our wills become more of his will. Sorry. His will becomes more of our will. That's a better way of putting that, right? That his will becomes ours. And then we pray in his name according to his will and for his glory. Now, that all sounds great. And I can tell you countless stories of way in which God has moved miraculously in answers to prayer. But you know, I can tell you even more stories of where I didn't see the miraculous answer to the prayer. I can tell you so many ways in which God's moved mightily and just miraculously. And I'll give a couple examples as soon. But to be honest, again, this is not some formula of how to answer prayer because I've seen far, far more examples of where I did not recognize or, or the, the way in which God moved wasn't evident in which he answered the prayer. You know, earlier I shared that story about us 50 people gathering together and praying for my buddy Dennis. And as we're praying, we've been praying, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes or so in this time with all gathered together, just crying out to God, like, move in Dennis's life. And as we continue to pray for him, we're praying that God would convict him of his sin and that God would reveal himself to him. And as we're praying, I remember one of the people shouting out, they're like, I just feel that, I just saw like this giant light filling the room. And, and, and Jesus is revealing himself right now. And we're like, cool, cool, cool. And we, we kind of finish for pray for a few more minutes. We wrap things up and, and we finish that night. Anyways, a few months go by. And I'm in, a, I'm in prayer with the Lord, and I felt the Lord lead me to go meet Dennis again. And so, I mean, I'm kind of terrified of doing this. The last time literally was traumatic. I mean, I had nightmares and stuff about it the last time. Anyway, so I, I told my, my buddy about it, Ben, about it. And I said, I think we're supposed to go back. And he's like, all right. So we spent a while just praying and fasting for days. Just, okay, Lord, prepare us for this, armoring up like crazy, getting ready to go back to this dude's house. Told a bunch of people we were going there, like we were ready, and we're going. And so we went up to this guy's house again. And as we're going to his house, we're walking up, I'll never forget, knocking on the door this time, expecting it to open, like, whoa, what's going on? Told my buddy, he knows what to expect. As I knock on the door, the door starts to open, and the door flings open. There's Dennis, and he says, James, it's so good to see you again. I'm like, what the heck's going on? He says, come, come in. I'm like, whoa, 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 what's going on? And my friend's just staring at me, going, like, what are you talking about, this guy? He's like as kind as can be. I'm like, I don't know. He's like, come, come, sit down. And I walk in. The house is clean. It's neat. It's tidy. He has a sit down. He's like, would you like some tea? He makes some tea for us. James, I've been waiting months to see you again. It's taking you so long to come back. Where have you been? And I'm like, uh, Dennis, what's going on? I'm like, what happened? He goes, oh my goodness. He's like, you know, a while back, I was just in here in the room, and all of a sudden, the whole room just lit up with a giant light, and Jesus spoke to me, and he told me who he was. He goes, I haven't done any drugs. The demons left that day, and he goes, and since then, I'm evangelizing out all these bars and these biker bars I used to be at, and I'm hanging with all this stuff, and God's moving. I've just been trying to find you, man. Where have you been? And I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. And I said, a, a little while, like, when specifically did this light happen? And this dude, no joke, and I have many people who can verify this claim. He was able to pinpoint the exact night it happened. It was the exact moment where we had gathered months before and we were praying for him. And the Lord showed up and radically met this man and totally changed his life as he drew him under Christ. 
And after that, long story short, I was able to be able to meet with him and disciple him. And, and, and in fact, we even got to baptize him in the ocean. I think there's a photo of that up there. It's taken from a ways away. We got to baptize the dude we, as, he, as he gave his life to Christ. And we, we just spent some time with him. I even became his pen pal for years after that, after I moved. And he used to send me these, these kind of these long handwritten letters to our home. And I think I had a bunch of them at my parents' house still. I mean, the Lord just worked this guy's life in power. How? Through prayer. God was moving through prayer. There's nothing that I did. There's nothing that I could take credit for and say, look at me. I wasn't even the one that prayed the prayer. It was someone else that was doing that. God just showed up and he answered the prayer of the cry of our heart. And that's awesome. And I love that because God is so good and he answers prayers. Because Jesus wants to keep doing the work through his disciples and through us that he did when he was here on earth. And that's what he's telling the disciples in this passage. And I can tell so many other crazy stories. I mean, I could just spend hours telling story after story of just crazy story the way I've seen God move over the last 25 years while in missions all across the world. I could tell stories of a blind man receiving sight where he just white as can be eyeballs with no irises or anything. And right as we're praying for him, seeing color come to his eyes and seeing irises form and, and dancing around inside afterwards. I could tell stories of, uh, of of the deaf hearing and the mute speaking and the lame walking. I can tell so many stories of seeing God move in powerful ways. I can tell stories of people not having a clue how to speak English and then all of a sudden translating and praying and they speak fluent English and translate an entire week until we get back in the car to drive home out of the bush and they can't speak a word of English to understand who I am. And God moving in radical ways. I can tell stories of like going to Costco and pulling up to the front on a busy day and a parking space opens right in front of the door and you're able to pull right in without a problem at all, right? Okay, one of those isn't true. I've never seen the Costco story happened to me personally. So I've heard stories. I know that's happened to other people, but I, I, I have not witnessed that one personally. I've heard maybe that one's true. I don't know. But here's the thing. In 25 years of being on the mission field and praying thousands of prayers for healing and miraculously for God to move, I have seen so many things happen. But far more than the miraculous interventions, you know what I've seen? Nothing. God not answer in ways that I could be evident and see as some powerful encounter of some ways. It's likely that God moved. I just couldn't witness it. I didn't see it. Maybe I was there at the wrong timing or something else. I'll be honest. I can tell you every major theological position on prayer. I spent a lot of time studying it. I love to read. I love to study. I love to read commentaries. I love to hear other people. There's a lot of theology on there out there. But I don't think this side of eternity we're ever going to get figured out. And I've seen God do so much, so much over the years. And I have so many stories of moving so miraculously, but again, so many more of where I didn't see the move. Where the result of praying a prayer that was in the name of Jesus, we believed it was according to his will, it was for his glory, and the result was not celebration, but a grieving widow with a lost husband, or a child who didn't make it, or a pregnancy that didn't go to term or a broken girl who suffered horrific abuse, or a, a mental health illness or depression or anxiety that kept on going no matter how many times we prayed and just saying, God, where are you? We're praying in your name. It's for your glory, Lord. Why, where are you in this moment? Now, I can tell you the story of where there's a whole team of us that entered into a Hindu village that had never even heard the name of Jesus. And we pray for a blind guy, and he receives sight, and he's dancing around, and we're filled with faith. And then the next week, I can tell you another story. The very next week, 
Same group of people, different village. No one knows who Jesus is. We're on a high from seeing God move miraculously in the life of this Hindu family, of all those people being, being, seeing the beauty of God. And so we gather around another woman who's blind in this different village. Same group of people praying the same prayers, gather around trusting, no doubt in our minds that God's going to heal her. And the whole village is going to come to Christ, completely convinced. And we pray and we pray and we keep praying and nothing happens. The villagers start mocking us. Not, I mean, not in English, they're all speaking their own languages, but, but they're just mocking us. They see these stupid people just gathering together this blind person praying for him. And so we pray harder and harder. This is just a challenge to our faith. And so we pray more and more, God, may your glory come. And we're jumping up and down and praying and screaming. Oh, for over an hour we pray. I think we went on to two hours and prayed. And then we walk away discouraged, saying, God, where were you? Your glory is what we're after, not ours. We prayed in your name. It's for your glory. It's for people to come to know you. Where were you, God? And we get mocked on the way out by the villagers saying, what's with those fools? What are they doing? We were completely convinced. You know, just this past week alone, I've had the privilege to be able to pray with so many different people, going through so much. This la- just this last week alone, I've, I've prayed with people who've lost a child, just this last week, lost a marriage, lost a parent, are suffering through horrific abuse, a cancer diagnosis, someone who's lost their faith. I pray with someone who lost their job, pray with someone whose child just rejected their faith. And that's just people I've prayed with this past week. And in each of them, I've prayed fervently, Lord. Bring your healing power. Bring your deliverance, Lord. God, move in your name, and I'm praying these things, and I'm trusting that God is going to move. But I know that God is at work because I know he's good. But I also know that oftentimes the way he works is not the way that I'm expecting or the way that I'm wanting it. Oftentimes the way that God moves is is not to remove us from the suffering and the tribulation and the pain, but to actually just to present himself in his peace in the midst of the pain and the suffering that's there. And I feel, honestly, as Christians, too often we gloss over passages like this and we just come up with a Christianese answer. And the problem with Christianese answers and just nice philosophical, truthful answers is they don't actually address the pain that people are going through. And it doesn't actually address the situation the disciples were in because the disciples were genuinely expecting God to move miraculously. That was their expectation. You cannot take this passage and just blow it off and say, well, as long as you're doing things according to God's will, it's going to happen. No, that is not what Jesus was telling the disciples. They were expecting him to continue to move the way he had moved when he was here on earth. And that was Jesus' message to them. And it's his message to us today. But the answers we often give, it doesn't address the way people feel. It doesn't address the pain that they're experiencing. It doesn't help the people when, when we just say, hey, God's good and he's God. It doesn't necessarily help people when, when they're hurting and hopeless or, or depressed and, and downtrodden or dealing with abuse or addiction or any of those things. And people have said a thousand prayers for the suffering to end or for the healing to come. And it still seems to be distant. Because the truth is, I don't know how God works. It's not for a lack of trying or a study or experience. I don't think we can fully understand this side of eternity, but I know he calls us to pray. And I'm not going to stop. I've seen him work countless times, and I know the countless other times, so many of those he's working, and I just don't understand it. And this context, we're talking about prayer. It's specifically, it's prayer of, of petitioning God to move and to act. But I'll say that that's not even the majority of my prayer time. The majority of my prayer time is, is just hanging out with God and trying to get to know him. But this is specifically referring to prayers that are petitioning him to move. 
for me, I mean, that's, that makes up a smaller part of my prayer time. Most of my prayer time can be more like, kind of like when I go in the evening for a walk with my wife, of just kind of hanging out with her and catching up on the day and, and talking through stuff and hanging out. And, and that's awesome. We need to be spending time with the Lord. And, and I'm just asking him, like, what is he doing to the lives of people around me and reflecting on today and reflecting on yesterday and praying through tomorrow. But we also, we have to be asking him and petitioning him is what he's showing here. And we come with requests. He, he says this in James chapter 4, verse 2. A challenging statement. He says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And so often our prayers are, can be typified in that, in, in that degree that we're, we're praying, me, 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 me. Take away my discomfort. Take away what I don't want to experience and give me stuff of yours. But, or it, it's something that it's... We're praying for, for God to move mightily in ways, but it's, we've already predetermined what that's supposed to look like. And more often than not, God's just moving in ways that we don't recognize and we can't see. Maybe it's that it wasn't in his will. Maybe it's that we're selfish. Maybe it's that we're pursuing our own pleasure and desires. Or maybe it's like the famous scholar, Dr. Garth Brooks, once said that you know, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. You know, there's a crazy example of this in Acts chapter 12. The passage isn't up there, but the chapter starts by describing how uh, Herod uh, beheads James, one of Jesus' inner circle. A horrific instance. He, he cuts off his head. People were praying him. You know, he was the, one of the, clo- the first apostle to die 10 years after Jesus died. And that's the beginning of the chapter. And then the next verse, it describes Herod thought that was, people were so excited by the killing of, of James that Herod then arrests Peter to kill him too. And he throws him in prison. He's about to martyr him. And as he's about to martyr Peter, it says that the people of the church begin to pray. And then God does a miracle and he releases Peter from prison. He literally opens up the bars of, of, the, of, of, the, of the doors of, the, of the, the cell. He blinds the guards and Peter walks right through into clarity. If you don't believe that, I, can, I have a friend, somebody I'll tell the story, that the exact same thing happened. It was about being martyred for their faith in prison for the gospel in the Islamic world. And literally the doors of the prison opened right up. The guards are all blind. He walked out of multiple guardhouses and got free, right? This is not a crazy thing. This happens today. This was just not too many years ago. But here's the crazy thing here. How can we explain what just happened? People are praying for James. Same people, same prayers. James gets beheaded. Peter gets delivered. How does that work? Obviously, God knew something they didn't. God has a plan that they didn't have. And God was on the move and doing crazy stuff. Again, I've seen God answer so many prayers. I've seen so many go seemingly unanswered. Or again, the ways we didn't recognize it, that instead of calming the storm, he just gave his peace in the midst of the storm. And there's so much about God that I don't understand. I just want to keep saying that because I recognize we're on touchy ground right here because this is not ideas and philosophies. We're doing with people who are in pain. These are real things. I mean, I've said enough of my story. I can't stop talking about it because it's just so much real in my life. Those that have listened to anything, I think almost every week I probably mentioned it because it's so real right now. My father has cancer and I don't know what's going on with him. Every day, it seems, he gets in worse situation, a little bit of recovery, but I am praying daily, and thank you for all you are praying, that God is going to heal him, and I'm, I'm hoping and trusting and praying for that. I am praying for the lost of Mill Creek to come to know him, and I know that's like the most miraculous prayer possibly, is that in this area, that those who don't know Jesus, who have rejected him and walk away, will turn to him, and I'm praying that daily and more than daily, consistently praying that. I'm praying another ridiculous thing in this time. I'm praying that somehow we're going to be able to own a house in this community within 20 minutes of the church, because I want long-term roots planted in this place. I don't know how that's possible with what's happened here. I'm praying for peace in Ukraine and Russia. Insane, but Jesus is asking us to pray stuff that we can't do on our own, so I'm going to keep praying and ask him to move. I'm praying for the 
salvation of, of your kids, of those that are in the church. I met with so many of the kids that have walked away from the faith. And I spend time daily praying that God is going to move miraculously in the lives of the families in this church. I spend time daily praying for the peace and the healing of those who are suffering from mental illnesses in this community and suffering from depression or anxiety or other pains that are hurting through that seems that they won't go away. And I'm not going to stop because I know that God is able to do it. Even though I don't know how he's going to answer, I will not stop praying because he's commanded us to partner with him and praying and not just for things that are already going to happen, but we're praying things that only he can do if he intervenes. And so we pray and we trust the words that he says, even if we don't understand how he works, even if we don't understand how he answers, we continue to pray because we know above all that God is good. We know that he is so good and his love for us is more than we could ever comprehend. And again, I often don't comprehend it. And so he's telling his disciples here in chapter 16 as he walks to his death that they're going to face persecution and death themselves. And they need to keep holding on to him because God is with them. And that he's going to do amazing works in and through their life and will continue what he did here on earth through them even when he leaves. And then as he finishes with this, he then says one of the most amazing things here in verse 26. He says this, he says, Then you will ask in my name, I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf. We'll look at that in a second. For the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from the Father. So now he tells his disciples that after his resurrection, the disciples won't have to talk to Jesus to get to the Father. And this is immediately following this whole thing of asking for him. He says, you're not going to have to ask me even for this anymore. You get to go directly to the Father. Why? Because the Father loves you dearly. He intimately loves you. Why? He loves you dearly because Christ has opened the door through faith in him, and now the disciples have complete access to the Father. They no longer have to go through Jesus to get to the Father. He says, now the Father himself loves them dearly, and they have, they no longer need to be, God no longer needs to be persuaded to be gracious to them or to spend time with them, but he loves them dearly, and he wants to be with them. They have direct access to the Father. And a side point here that's just amazing about this is that one of the amazing things about God is that he loves us and yet he knows every single thing about us. You know, the, the Greek word here used for love in this passage isn't the agape, the one we often think of that incredible love. It's actually phileo, which has to even emphasizes more the friendship style, which what does that mean? God doesn't just love us, he actually likes us. He actually wants to hang out with us. He actually wants to be with us. He, he desires us. And what's so incredible about that is he knows every single little thing about us. And you know how relationships where you thought, man, if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't want to be around me. If only they truly knew the truth about me, they would avoid me and they wouldn't be close to me. Anyone in your marriage recognize that you won't even tell your wife who you truly are, your husband, because you're afraid, your fear of rejection, of being fully known even to your spouse after 5, 10, 20 years of being married. Here's the reality. God knows every single thought in our head. He knows every single thing about us, and yet he loves us dearly right where we are. Not because someday we'll be perfected, but even in the midst of our brokenness, his love for us is overwhelming. He loves us, and he loves us dearly, even in the midst of our brokenness. And so this whole book, John is showing this incredible relationship between the Father and Jesus, and how intimate they are, and that they invite us into that intimacy with them. And that now we have access to the Father. We come before him with boldness. Ephesians chapter 3 puts it this way in verse 12. Paul says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. That's one of my favorite passages. Boldly and confidently we can come, even in our brokenness, to come before God because of what Christ has done. 
God wants to be with us. He wants us to spend time with him, to be with him, to pray, to ask of him. We have to get rid of any understanding we may have of a distant and uncaring father that has to be bribed with the blood of his son in order to be near us. No, he desires us. He longs for us and wants us to be near him because God loves us and God is with us. And that leads to the final verse of chapter of, of 16, verse 33. The final words he speaks to his disciples before he goes to the garden and is crucified. And he says this. This is how he summarizes the last bit of teaching Jesus gives. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He says, take courage, for I have overcome the world. And these are his final words to his disciples. This is his signing off, basically. He's told, he's told them all this scary stuff, that they'll be persecuted, that, they will be, that there'll be tribulation, there will be pain. But he says, so that in me you would have peace. In the midst of all of that, you'll have peace in me. And notice he says, you will have pain and tribulation. It's not a maybe. You will. That is a guarantee. There will be tribulation. There will be pain and suffering. It's not an option. But he offers his peace in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering. And, and notice here, he says, to take courage because he's overcome the world. Now, does he say, I will overcome the world here? Is this a future statement? Take courage because one day I will die on a cross and I will break the power of sin? No, that's not what it says. It says, take courage, I have overcome the world. Meaning Jesus speaks of a present, of, of, sorry, as a future reality as a present reality, right? He speaks of a future idea of him dying on the cross and breaking the power of death as a present reality. And he says, because victory is guaranteed, it hasn't even happened yet. And he's already telling his disciples, I have overcome. It's already done. It's as good as done. That's how strong my word is i have overcome and this is the way he says goodbye this is his sign off saying you can take heart you can take courage because i have already won and now why is that so encouraging as they head to their death as he heads to his death and let's imagine this it's it's, it's 2016 june 2nd the mariners are playing the padres down in san diego even if you're not a sports fan hopefully it'll make some sense they're getting demolished by the end of the sixth inning, they're down 12 to 2, down 10 runs, and everyone's just calling it a game. They've lost. They've gotten their butts kicked. Imagine being at that game. You're wearing there with your vintage, you're sitting there with your, like your vintage Mariner's journey, maybe a Griffey or a Jay Buner jersey. You're watching the game, and the Padres fans are just throwing beer at you. They're taunting you, saying, you guys suck, and you're feeling dejected. Clearly, you've lost. Down by 10 points. Mariners aren't having a good year. You figure there's no chance of anything going on. It's over. You're feeling dejected. It's time to go. Even the Padres fans are leaving. And then a Mariners fan comes over with a big jersey on. He comes in like, dude, buck up, man. Take heart. Take courage. We're going to win. It's going to be okay. Just put this rally cap on. We're going to win. I mean, is that going to encourage you? No. It's, in fact, you're probably just going to invite further mockery if you try and do what this guy is saying. Like, if you hold on, it's stupid. Just go home. It's over. But then imagine, somehow you know the future. And Edgar Martinez shows up in a vision to you, like in a dream. And he says, don't worry. You're actually going to win. You're going to score nine run, or sorry, 14 runs over the course of this, right? I think it's what, 10 runs just in the last two, or I think it's 12 runs, the last two innings alone. Don't worry, you're going to be fine. And so as you sit there for the rest of that match, the, the game, you're watching, they're getting their butts kicked. You're able to say, okay, this is crazy, this is stupid. People are taunting you, saying, get out of here, go home. You're like, nope, I know how it finishes. I know how the game ends. You get to the sixth inning and they put on seven runs. You're like, okay, someone's going. You get to the seventh inning, there's two outs. You're like, man, we're still way, way behind. And then you watch as they score with two outs, seven runs in a row with two outs. Just miraculous. One of the greatest games in history. And the Mariners end up winning. They end up going to first in the division as a result. 
right? Crazy things happen. But what was the difference in the situation is that you knew what was about to happen. And so you could sit there and you could endure the taunts of the other people, of the enemy, trying to tell you and beat you up. You could sit through all of it because you knew it was going to happen, even if it was a little bit scary. And so Jesus tells the disciples, I'm winning. In fact, no, I'm sorry, I won. I've already won. And you're on my team. You're with me. You don't need to be afraid of whatever can come, whatever the enemy can throw at you, because I've already won. And so seek me. Trust me. You don't trust yourself. Don't trust in your strength, but trust in me. Take courage. Take heart. Anyone feeling disillusioned these days? Feeling like your prayers just bouncing off of heaven and not being answered? They're just tired of praying endless prayers that don't get responded, or that your enemies maybe feel like it's the rejoicing as you weep? Or feel that maybe God isn't listening? Like the disciples, sometimes it may feel like Good Friday. Good Friday wasn't just the death of a vision. It was the death of everything for them. There was no hope for the disciples on that day. There was no hope. They weren't looking forward. It was gone. Their life was a crater. And Jesus is saying, take courage. I have overcome. Not I will, I have overcome. And he offers them his life and his victory that they get to share. And the entire book of Revelation is that story. Jesus wins and so do we because we're on his team. So when Jesus says, take courage, we can trust him. Those are words we can trust. And so this past week, as I sat with so much pain and suffering of people that have lost kids and family and marriage and children, I mean, there's, I cannot believe how much woe and pain that I've, I, I've prayed with in this past week. And it's a privilege and a joy. And I consider the greatest honor to have my job. I, I cannot imagine ever having a greater honor than be able to do that, to sit with people in those pain. But could you imagine if I looked at someone with that pain and just said, take heart, it's going to get better. Just feel better. Take courage. Life's going to be okay. What useless words to give somebody. What useless words coming for me. That would be meaningless. In fact, it'd be hurtful for me to say, don't worry, it's going to get better. No. But these aren't my words. It's not me as some drunk Mariners fan leaning over saying, put on a rally cap. This is Jesus, the creator of the cosmos, saying, take heart. I have overcome, and you are with me. So trust me. As he says in John chapter 14, verse 1, he says that prayer that we looked at a few weeks ago, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And so I will keep on praying. I will keep on turning to the Lord for his deliverance and his healing and his salvation. I will keep leaning into him and trusting that he is who he says he is. And I will lean into his goodness even when I don't understand. Even when he doesn't answer in ways that I can see or understand, I will keep leaning in him, trusting in his goodness and his beauty and his wonder because that's what he's called us to. And he is a good God. He is a good father. And he's already overcome. Amen? All right. Let's pray as we head into worship. Jesus, you've told us to ask of you. And so here we are, Lord, as your children. We, we ask, we say, Lord, move in and through our lives and do what only you can do. I pray you would stir within us, specifically those who are disillusioned right now, Lord. Those who have maybe given up and have prayed a thousand prayers and it feels they've not seen any response. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, may you make your peace present to them amidst the tribulation. May you speak your peace to the storm, Lord Jesus. Those who are dealing with such loss of family and friends and children, Lord, we ask for your peace to be upon them in the midst of this.
And Lord, may you rise within us and increase our faith to trust you because you said to pray. And I pray for each of us, Lord, may you rise within our heart the faith to begin to trust you for things that maybe have died out or things we've never even been willing to trust for before. Things that are so crazy that you that we could never dream of it happening on its own or just through circumstances alone. Lord, increase our faith to believe for you that you will continue to work today the way you worked when you were on earth physically present. You've called us to be your followers and be your disciples, Lord. May we be conformed more to the image of who you are and live in love like you, Lord. And may you move in and through our lives to do what only you can do. God, may, you, may we grow tired of lives that are lived purely within our own control and purely within our own power. And may we rely completely upon you, Jesus, to move in and through our lives. Do what only you can do, Jesus. We trust you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.